Hello and welcome to an all new episode of the Spotlight Hollywood Edition. It's been so long since we've been on. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the show. I'm Kente all the way live from Los Angeles, California. And I'm with Tara Lynn. And where are you from, Tara Lynn? I am in Delaware, Ohio. Woo! All right. And what about you, Yardley? Where are you from? All the way live from Atlanta, Georgia, man. Atlanta, Georgia. That's right. I haven't been to Atlanta in a long time, and I hope hoping to get there really soon. Uh, but um, welcome to the show. Of course, we love participation, and you can participate in, a, in in two ways. You can participate by calling, and that number is area code three four seven eight five seven three three eight five. Once again. That is area code 347-857-3385. And remember, you have to press 1 to be entered into the host queue. That is the only way that we'll know that you've called. You can participate in another way. And that way is coming to our website, IndieRadio.org. That's I-N-D-Y Radio.org. Come in, go into our live stream chat room. All you have to do is select a nickname and then come on in and hit login or save. Uh, people I see in the chat room, I see Captain Barbosa, I see Carrie, Fiona, I see, of course, us. We're in the chat room. If you didn't hear your name, it's because you have not logged in. So uh, please come on in. All right. We got all that business out the way. A little bit later, we'll be joined by actress Michelle Thrush. You know her from Blackstone, and she was also on the show Hell on Wheels. So we're going to be chopping it up with her about her career and her activism and all that good stuff. But um, let's let's go over to Tara Lynn. And uh, I know you've been watching some TV programs. What you been watching? You know, uh, some of my shows are starting up again, and I'm kind of excited about that. Rain was one this week that I uh, checked into for the premiere, and uh, it was really it, um, a little bit different than what I was expecting to come at me. Um, you know, they're they're bringing in ghosts to the uh, character roles, and but they had this huge storyline where the plague hit and they had a lot of dead people man but i gotta give kudos to the makeup artist because i'm not sure what the plague is supposed to look like but it was nasty looking they <laughs> did some really good makeup on those people <laughs> <laughs> oh man so uh I, now is this is the show real scary is it real is it thrillerific what, tell us you about. know it's about a kingdom and it's about the it's actually a queendom it's about a queen, Queen Mary, um, and her husband and their family. Um, and, it, it, you know, it's, it's very interesting because the show started out in season one uh, with a queen and a king and their son and the king's uh, bastard son. Uh, and then the son who was you know in line to become king has become king and now he has also a son out of wedlock so it's interesting to see how he's now going to handle a son that's out of wedlock when he had such competition with his stepbrother uh the whole time in the first season Oh wow! You know, what goes that's, around comes around that's a lot of drama now is this uh, based on the real queen mary Loosely. 
Uh, Bloody Mary, I believe they called her. <laughs> I think loosely. But yeah, and this, oh my god, the costumes are fabulous. Just, I love the dresses. You know, I would love to wear dresses. The big, you know, full gowns and uh, just such embroidery and oh, they're so pretty. I love the costumes on this show. Mm. Well, you know what? I gotta check that show out. You know, I, I've seen the trailers and the promos and stuff, and I haven't yet seen it, so you speak so well of it. I, I gotta give it at least a shot. Check it out. You know, I I think it's gonna be interesting to see where it goes this season. So, it's the only season two, so, you know, we got a lot to come. Mm. And the other show that I checked out this uh, that started again uh, was Once Upon a Time. And, you know, I gotta give the writers some kudos, too, because you know, Once Upon a Time, in general, is all your old fairy tale characters that you loved that have been transported into modern day. And in this season, they bring in the characters from the Disney movie Frozen. What? And, you know, that movie just came out for kids not too long ago. And so now, here they are in this show. So they are really capitalizing on... Uh, you know Disney characters now. I, oh, wow, I didn't <laughs> yeah. know they they got it in like that like, with newer characters. Yeah, yeah, they brought in. Is Mufasa yeah, they, in there? <laughs> no, <of course> <laughs> not yet. <laughs> no, but uh, no, I never saw Frozen, so my first introduction to those characters are essentially through this show. I mean, I have a pretty good bead on what that movie was about, but I never, you know actually took time to sit down to watch it but um i really do like the actress that they have um representing i think her name is elsa um on the tv show yeah and it was actually it was actually pretty good i followed the show since season one um they do a great job of giving a twist on these characters and it's kind of interesting because the writers who write this show i think they're the same writers that wrote Lost for Lost uh, yep. as well, correct? Yeah, they're uh, two of the top writers from mm-hmm. Lost and they were they wrote some of the better episodes of Lost. Yeah. Yeah, so they're really representing on this show. Um it's definitely fun, you know, it's family friendly and they they do a good job of twisting things up, so it's kind of hard to get a bead on necessarily where they're going to go. It's sort of like um you know, with with Breaking Bad and shows like that where uh, one of the things that the fan community have a great time doing is just coming up with different theories or different scenarios to where the show's going to go. And more times than not, uh, you know, they throw you for a loop. So it's definitely fun. And I recommend watching it. Um, you know, Lana Perea, who plays um, the evil queen, she's great. And she's fantastic. yeah, she's like my favorite character on there. Her and um, uh, I think it's uh, Grumpy the... Is it Grumpy the Dwarf? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't get enough screen time, but he's very fun. I think that my least favorite character is the so-called hero in the show, and that's Emma. Uh, I've never really warmed up to her, but, uh, you know, uh, the show overcomes her. You know, she's coming into her own with her magic, though, so she she might become a little more interesting now. Now, another person who I wasn't really warmed up to until they started kind of making his character act a little older and that's the character henry you know i got so sick of operation this and that i used to want to throw up when he used to say that you know <laughs> operation going to get a burger you know something you know it's just uh that kind of eats me out a kid can't they? 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah well, he's actually grown now. I mean, he, yeah. he's actually grown up. His voice even got a little deeper. So uh, I definitely look forward to seeing what the rest of this season is going to bring, man. It's, a, it's an exciting show. Yeah. Now, did you see, and you know what I loved about the season opener is an hour before, they recapped all the characters from the last season. And it was really fun to watch the writers talk about all these characters. Did you see that? No, I didn't get a chance to see it. I oh, you wish... got to watch it because okay. it really brings it all home to you. Because um, they tell like the background stories to get you know to get you really into the personality of this character. Yeah. I miss I miss Peter Pan though. <laughs> I <laughs> thought the young man. Back. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. But the young man who played him, yeah, he was pretty phenomenal as well. I, I, li- I definitely like that twist and. And our girl, uh, Sonequa Martin-Green, was on there, um, Kente. She was, a, she was actually one of the villains last season. Of course, her obligations with The Walking Dead, um, you know, ended up getting her, you know, snuffed out on the show. But uh, I really I really liked her character. She was, a, she was a pretty hardcore villain. She actually threw some bows on the main character, Emma. Oh, get out of here. Okay. So much so, like, you know, like in movies and television, the person who's losing the fight is always the one that gets the gun. Right. Well, the main character was getting her butt whipped, and, of course, she was the one to go grab the gun. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so that's what got her off the show was uh, when she got the lost job? The the what uh, the well you know she was um the uh, I mean that lost job um, the Walking Dead Walking Dead job my bad yeah I mean it's it was totally the Walking Dead that had to have pulled her off that show because um, her character and the well she was basically a duo you know it was her and another male character that were like the uh, the antagonists on the show for a while like last season and um, you know it just. It really wasn't a mystery that it kind of lined up with when they were shooting The Walking Dead and those types of things. And granted, you know, you know what has to take priority, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a big a big part for her. So mm-hmm. definitely understand that. Yeah, and she's she's a really good actress, too. I really like her. And she's easy on the eyes. And, and yeah. uh, recently, she, I believe she's just uh, pregnant, yeah. right? She's pregnant, yeah, man, and uh, the baby is perfectly timed out for her to have it and get back on the show next season. Now, that's what I call a real professional. <laughs> exactly, you know. That's what I'm talking about. Yes. <laughs> but uh, what else have you, um, well, I also was watching um, the TV series, uh, I was watching Gotham. Um, has anybody else here checked that series out yet? Yeah. I want to, but I have not had time yet. Yeah, I, I saw Gotham. Yeah, it's it's been okay. Like, I, it's definitely not. I mean, we're only two episodes in, but um, it's definitely taking me a little bit of time to warm up to uh, Detective Gordon. But I I would have to say that the person who's probably one of the highlights of the show is the is the young man who plays the plays the penguin. And remember, the guy who plays the penguin. You remember it back in it might have been season three. You remember the episode where no, actually it was it was last season. You remember the episode where Rick had exiled Carol and they found those that young couple in that house. Oh, he was one of them. He was the penguin. He was the guy. Oh, yeah, okay. that's the same guy who plays the penguin in Gotham. So oh, okay, get out of here. Yeah, I, I so that's pretty interesting. And I, I was actually when we did our our character study, I was actually. 
I actually found some information on that young man. And you know how when you go to the Walking Dead wiki, it has like a color code. So Mm -hmm. if it's green, it means the character's alive. If it's blue, it means that... Wait, if it's red, it means that they're dead. And if it's um, blue, it means unknown. And his character actually has an unknown uh, circle around it. Oh, so he could actually potentially come back. Well, he actually will. I saw it in the thing. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. They said, <laughs> yeah, so, shoot, that guy's putting in that work. So Yeah, he, he's putting in some work, man. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that's that's good to know. He, yeah, the guy can act. The guy really can act. So mm-hmm. that's good. Now, what what I wanted to do is, um, since they have the new fall lineup, and we're, we're kind of into the, the fall lineup, so I wanted to uh, go over some shows. I'm going to read the synopsis, and... I want you guys to tell me if you guys are buying it. Like, would you would you check out these shows? Okay. Okay. All right. So um, the first show that I want to talk about is uh, the show on NBC. It comes on Thursdays, and it's called Bad Judge, and it premiered last night. It's a single ca- the single camera comedy stars Kate Walsh, who you may know from Private Practice in Fargo, as Rebecca Wright, one of LA's most respectable respected criminal court judges. But here's the uh, here's the uh, over. Ugh, I can't see. I need glasses. Uh, here's the catch. While Rebecca totally and completely has it together in her work life, her personal life is uh, the definition of a hot mess. She's flaky. She sleeps around with a, uh, without a care in the world. And she parties like she's still in college. <laughs> so <laughs> I did so, not want her as my judge. <laughs> <laughs> she does drive a sweet van, though. Uh, John Ducey, Tone Bell, and Theodore uh, Barnes are all stars in it. So, so Tara Lynn, does this sound like something you might want to check out? Bad Judge? You know, I'd probably watch it. Might be kind of fun. <laughs> but you don't yeah. want her as your judge, though. <laughs> I don't want her as my judge. Now, you know, maybe if you were, like, in one of those cities where pot was almost legal but it wasn't, she might be a good judge to have if you got in trouble for it. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, so what about you? Does this sound like something maybe you would uh, check out? Uh, For me... Uh, probably not. Um, <laughs> probably, pro- probably not. <laughs> oh my god! Right, so we got one one thumbs up for Bad Judge, and now we have. Let's go with the next one, um, and we have one thumbs down. Okay, this next show caught my uh, caught my got my attention from the promos, and I missed the premiere last night, so I got to check it out. But it's called Grace Point. It comes on Fox Thursdays, every Thursday. I guess they're opposite each other, the two shows. And here's the synopsis. When a young boy is found dead on an idyllic beach, a major police investigation gets underway in a small California seaside town where the tragedy occurred. Soon to uh, be deemed a homicide, the case sparks a media frenzy, which throws the boy's family into further turmoil and upends the lives of all the town's residents based on the British series Broadchurch. Ah, see, I didn't realize that. It stars uh, former um, Doctor Who, uh, Doctor uh, David Tennant and Anna Gunn, we know her from Breaking Bad, as the pair of cops investigating the case. The cast also includes Nick Nolte, uh, Michael Pena, Jackie Weaver, and Kevin uh, Rankin. Wow. 
Man, that sounds something like something else. So we'll start off with you, Yardy. What do you think about this one? Um, I definitely give that show a chance. Anything that Anna Gunn's in, I'm down with, man. She's a fantastic actress. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yes. So what, what about you, Tara? I would check it out, too. It definitely has some uh, good names in it. And, you know, little Tara trivia. Tara actually was in a movie with Nick Nolte once. Really? I didn't, <laughs> see, I didn't know that. Yeah, see? Oh. It was called Teachers. Teachers? Okay. All right. Uh-huh. So you got you to gotta check out your boy again, huh? I know. I can see how he's doing now. That's right. Yes. Okay. Um, all right. So um, we'll do one more. And uh, this one, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see about this. This one actually takes place... Actually, we'll do two more because I, I, I want to do this the, this other one as well. Uh, this one is called Houdini, and it takes place. I mean, it comes on the History Channel. Uh, it started actually September first on Mondays. It's a two-part miniseries. It stars Academy Award winner Adrian Brody as the world famous Harry Houdini, uh, and will chronicle the legendary performer's life by recounting his various stunts and illusions. Uh, Kristen. Connolly uh, from House of Cards plays Houdini's wife and partner Bess, while uh, Evan Jones uh, uh, plays uh, Jim Collins, his assistant. So we'll start with you, Tara. What do you think? You know, I actually watched it. I'm a huge magic buff, so I was really looking forward to it. So I have seen the first um, episode, and uh, it... it um, I don't know. It it didn't grab me totally. I'm not sure what it was that I missed. Um, but something didn't grab me totally. I, hmm. I, I watch a lot of magic shows. Not like, well, I watch a lot of magic shows too, but movies about mad magicians. And I, I, this one just, his character specifically, I just didn't get, I didn't get Houdini out of him. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> hey, look, if it has something to do with magic and it's not Melisandre, I ain't down with it. <laughs> uh, Game of Thrones. <laughs> okay, so we got two thumbs <laughs> down for Houdini. Uh, all right. And her, our last one before the break, uh, this is a BBC America show. It takes place on Saturdays. It actually started August 23rd, so we're way behind. I definitely want to check this one out. It's called Intruders. Based on Michael Marshall Smith's 2007 book, The Intruders, BBC America's newest uh, series, stars Doctor Who's John Sim as Jack Wellen, a former Los Angeles cop who is who has been relocated with his wife, Miro Servino, uh, to the Pacific Northwest in search of a quieter life. But that all goes to hell when she suddenly vanishes. Oh, interesting. Uh, just as an old friend, Tori Kittles, uh, we know him from uh, True Detective, appears on his doorstep asking for help with a murder investigation. As these and other uh, seemingly disconnected events converge, Jack discovers a secret society known as uh, Qui Reverte, whose members uh, chase immortality by seeking refuge in the bodies of others. Mm. The cast also includes the uh, 
eternally uh, typecast as evil, James Frain, he's a really good actor, uh, as an assassin, uh, Richard Shepard, and newcomer Millie Brown as an innocent, seemingly, but probably not at all innocent, nine-year-old runaway. Um, and uh, one of the uh, X-Files uh, uh, writers, uh, um, I believe it was Darren Morgan, uh, is the is the uh, creator of this series. Uh, so, I'm going to start off with you, Yardley. What do you think about this? Now, <clears throat> well, I mean, listening to the description, I guess it would definitely be something um, that I want to, um, I would like to give a chance. So, yeah, I'd say I'd be down with it. Okay. Uh, what about you, Tara Lynn? Yeah, I think I would watch this too. It, it sounds interesting. So, we'll see what, what it will bring. And let me uh, make sure I, I said the right person. That is uh, da, 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 uh, helming this. But yeah, it looks really good. I'm definitely interested in checking this out. So that all the promos and stuff. And BBC America, they do really good programming. I gotta, I gotta give them. Oh that. yeah. I definitely gotta give them that. So I, I like a lot of their Glenn Morgan. Not Dar- Darren is his brother. Glenn Morgan who. Glenn Morgan, uh, he, he also created the uh, ser- the uh, series of um, uh, Final Destination films. They, him and his brother, so uh, I mean him and his partner. So okay. and Bear McCrary d- composed the music. So pretty cool. So those cool. are things that these are th- th- these are programs that are uh, coming out this fall. Tell us what you think. Go to our Facebook page forward slash the spotlight Hollywood edition and tell us what you think. So we're going to take a break and when we come back, we'll be joined by our guest, Michelle Thrush. Indie showcase presents talking about walkers an internet radio show dedicated to the hit AMC series, The Walking Dead. Join hosts Yardley, Olaf, and Kente and listen as they break down the latest episodes of the series with their brand of humor and intelligent insight. This goes down live every Sunday at 8 p.m. Pacific, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on IndieRadio.org. That's I-N-D-Y Radio.org. Hello, Chris Gray here from Total Nerd Takeover Podcast and Video Studio with a special offer to our friends from IndieRadio.org. We are giving away a 12-inch resin Rocky statue replica valued at $125. Thanks to Robin Schoenberg Nichols from RockySculpture.com. Entering the giveaway is easy. Head over to Facebook.com forward slash Total Nerd Takeover, all one word, And at the top of our Facebook page, look for the post entitled Rocky Statue Giveaway 2014 and like the post. That's it. Then you're entered into the random drawing that will take place October 7th on the TNRT.TV channel. We will take care of any shipping. Now for our non-U.S. entries, we will pay the shipping up to the value of the statue. All we ask is you handle the tax and the tariffs. You can find out more about Total Nerd Takeover Studios at tnerd.com. Thanks again to all of our friends from Indie Radio. 
www.thepodcastnetwork.org. Indie Showcase presents The Spotlight Internet Radio Show with hosts Kente, Shea, Kitty, and Olaf. We put a spotlight on independent content creators and we give you the latest in pop culture and tech news of the day. Catch us live every Thursday at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern right here on IndieRadio.org. That's right, indyradio.org. Hi, I'm actress Hope Alide Wilson. I played Retrieve on the hit TNT series, The Last Ship. You're listening to the Spotlight Hollywood Edition with hosts Tara Lynn, Kinte, and Miosha, right here on indyradio.org. And welcome back to the show. That's right. You're listening to the Spotlight Hollywood Edition, and we are here with our guest, Michelle Thrush. How are you doing? I'm doing so good. Thank you for having me on your show. Yes, yes, yes. We are so happy to be interviewing you today. How is it? Uh, you're in Canada, right? I am. I'm in Calgary, which is um, where Hell on Wheels is shot. This is where I live. All right, all right. Now... We always love to find out where people are from. So where are you from originally? Well, I was born and raised here in Calgary, and it's it's my home, though I've lived in different parts of Canada. I, I always come back here. All right. Now, um, we hear, you know, we interview a lot of people from Calgary because we do a show on Hell on Wheels, and we always hear that in Calgary the people are so nice and wonderful and all of that. <laughs> Is that true? Well, I don't know. Like I, like I said, I grew up here, so I'm used to how the people are. I, um, I hear that when I travel in the states. I hear that about Canadians in general. So, I don't know. Maybe we are nice. I, I'm hoping <laughs> that that's not a rumor. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle, this is um, Tara Lynn. I was curious. What was your first foray into acting? What What prompted you to want to get into acting? Well, um, growing up, I uh, I came from a really rough home, a uh, really rough background, and when I was a kid, I loved um, escaping into my imagination. I loved getting everyone on the block, all the kids on the block, to do plays and to, to act out different characters, and it's just something I always loved to do, but it was never something I thought I could do for a living. When I was growing up, watching television or going to see a movie, I never saw true indigenous people on film. Once in a while we would catch like, you know, Chief Dan George on Little Big Man or, you know, just a very, very small amount of people on TV that I could relate to as someone who looked like me. Usually um, when you saw these uh, cowboy and Indian films, a lot of times they were you know, hiring Italian people and putting wigs on them. So it just it wasn't something that I thought I could do for a living. And then when I graduated high school, I'd already been involved in a couple films that had been casting around Calgary, and I uh, was hired to, to work on them, and I thought it was so much fun. But honestly, again, it was like, no, I'm going to go to university. I'm going to do something to help my people. I'm going to do something for um, to work with Aboriginal children or youth. And then... 
I, I, it hit me that acting was something that was that had the ability to create huge amounts of change, and that's uh, that's why I chose to really get into it because I realized the the amount of um, um, it just you, you can do a play or you can do a film and you can affect people with your work and you can allow them to heal or to 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 feel or you know that sort of thing and that was exactly why I got into the film industry was to to use the um, the advantage of having effect on youth on young people of my culture so yeah it, it became sort of a political move for me Hmm. And um, when you made the decision to get into acting, did you have any sort of of a base of support when you made the decision? Or is this something that you carried on your shoulders, decided it was something to do, and just, you know, let everything take off from there? No, I, I, I met a man who's made... Okay, back then, when I was growing up, like I said, there was just... There was a very small amount of, of Aboriginal people that were working in film and television. And one of them was... Um, a man by the name of Gordon Tatoufis. And he's passed on since then, but a lot of people might recognize him from Legends of the Fall. He was the older man in there, the older Native man that befriended Brad Pitt's character. That's one of his, you know, more famous roles. But I met Gordon when I was 17, and he'd already done a couple films. And he was the one that really encouraged me. And he told me, you know, you got to go forward, girl. You got to, you got to be true to yourself. And so it was through his encouragement and through him hooking me up in Vancouver. I moved to Vancouver, and I got an agent. And uh, yeah, it was Gordon that really sort of pushed me over to to make make it or break it. And uh, yeah, and since then, I have um, I've been doing it pretty much nonstop for about over 20 years. Oh, wow. That is very awesome because a lot of actors that we talk to um, from Canada, you know, and actors in general, lots of times people say one of the keys to being an actor or an actress is you have to have thick skin. You have to have fortitude. Oh, gosh, yeah. And um, I I guess that all of them were what everybody told us was true, huh? Oh, gosh. I went through so much rejection as um, as a young up-and-coming actor. And not only that, but it wasn't truly until, um, I guess it was around 92, just before I got into this business, when Dances with Wolves came out. And that was really what opened the door for Aboriginal actors, because before that, there were not a lot of roles available for us. Wow. And now I'm at a point in my career, of course, you know, 20 years later where I'm like, I don't want to play native roles anymore. <laughs> I don't want to, uh, you know, it's every script I'm a part of through, you know, the last 20 years has got something to do with medicine people or sweats or shamans or, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward. Like, I, I see what's going on with the um, the African-American actors in the States where you're allowed to play a doctor or a lawyer and, and you don't got to talk about, you know, the black issues that happen. You can just mm-hmm. be a human being, right? And that's exactly where I am as, as an actor. Um, you know, we're, we're moving forward. Uh, I got a friend down there in L.A., Adam Beach, and, you know, he's done a few roles already that uh, don't have anything to do with being Native. And, you know, this is, this is where we're heading, so I'm hoping that that's coming up pretty quick. 
Oh, that's great. And yeah, I, I actually, you know, I actually hope so too, because those types of things, um, you know, being typecast and those types of things are definitely, um, things that go on here in the States as well. And you had mentioned representation and how, you know, Aboriginal people are portrayed. Um, have there been any times or any roles that you've actually had to turn down because you felt like you didn't like the way that you or your culture were represented? Um, yeah, no, there has been. It's definitely been somewhere, you know, my, my manager will send me a script and it's like, oh my gosh, this is pure cheese, man. You can send this back. <laughs> it's too, it's, you know, ridiculous, some of the things. And, um, definitely turn down roles that it's crazy because, you know, in Canada, we do have really great. Uh, scripts coming out. We've got a huge amount of people up here that are working in the industry, as in actors, producers, directors, screenwriters, who are um, who are indigenous, and they're able to tell the truth from a you know a very personal point of view. So we've got a lot of great shows that are happening in Canada. It's usually the scripts coming out of L.A. <laughs> that really drive me nuts because you got these you know, studios that want to, to tell the story from a romantic or a noble or, you know, a point of view that that's uh, stereotypical. And that's, mm-hmm. uh, that drives me crazy. I, th- I think one of the issues that we face as, you know, African-Americans and Native Americans and uh, just, you know, you know, people of color is that we don't have a lot of faces that look like us in the room. So they're going to write from their own perspective. So what what I always say is, you know, what we really should do is we should do a parallel uh, Hollywood, you know, like when we say, (laughs) you know what, forget them, let's do our own thing. And because, you know, like, uh, I'm I'm not a big fan of his work, but Tyler Perry, you know, Hollywood didn't want to touch his stuff. And now they are clamoring to get a piece of the, his action. You know what I mean? So if you do yeah. it and we make, you know, we can make these, uh, you know, these movies and such. And, you know, when it's such high quality, they're going to be beating down our doors to uh, to get that. So Right. And yeah. that's, that's exactly it. We need to we need to get more people into the producing is what we need to do mm-hmm. so that we do call the shots. And, uh, and we need, you know, we've got some great writers coming up with, um, you know, our people of color. And that's, that to me is, it's our time. It's definitely our time. And interestingly enough, um, earlier this month, I had actually tweeted something out and they were talking about representation of, you know, of, um, you know, of African-Americans and women as far as, you know, producing and writing and directing. And the numbers are really paltry. I think they said of, um, in the last year of a lot of the productions that came out, um, we were all still pulling up maybe uh, 15%, you know, yeah. representation in, in those areas. So definitely um, we have a lot of, you know, we have a long way to go. And um, I definitely agree with both of you just saying that we need to start um, focusing more on the inside game and that way we can make a difference from the inside and naturally the things that we do are going to, you know, are going to flow out on the outside. So yeah, hopefully we'll uh, hit the ground running on that front soon. Yeah, I can see it happening already. You know, things are really, really um, starting to wake up. So I'm, I'm quite optimistic. 
Do you have something uh, you want to write yourself? Well, I do a lot of writing in theater. I'm uh, very connected to the theater world in Canada, and I use theater to um, to have again to have effect on my people. And so I'm I've got three different one woman shows that I've toured through the years. And the latest one that I've been touring with is called Find Your Own Inner Elder. And so I love using live live performance with, um, you know, working in Native communities. And uh, that's, that's probably, I think that to me is key to um, telling stories because we come from thousands of years of storytelling, of oral mm-hmm. tradition. You know, so to me that's, that's the best way of, of bringing it home for our youth is to use uh, theater in a way that allows them to feel. So that's what I do. I do a lot of writing in, in theater and touring with my shows. And you definitely have a gift for telling the stories that activate people. Um, Thank you. What do you. How do you feel that these children, when they come away from one of your shows, or when you're working with them, uh, as far as you mentioned, you had a character that you use? Yeah, I've had a couple characters. The one that I was um, mentioning earlier, her name is Majika. And what I do is I, I've been, um, I do therapeutic healing through clowning with Indigenous children. And I'm not sure, you know, how, how much you y'all down there know about what's happening with Native Americans, or up here we call ourselves um, First Nations or Indigenous or Aboriginal, but you know, there's a huge amount of healing that's, that's been going on in Canada as far as Indigenous people go, and part of that healing is about um, um, recognizing the history, the true history of what has gone down in Canada and in the States. We have um, residential schools up here, which down in the States were known as boarding schools. And I can't talk about America because I don't know enough about the history there, but in Canada, we had um, our children taken out of the family since around the 1860s. These schools began through the, the government and the church. And they started going onto the reserves or the reservations and taking children between ages 6 and 16 and taking them from their families and putting them into these schools and Mm. basically trying to beat the Indian out of them Mm. using uh, various ways of... um, There was a lot of abuse that happened. And this happened between five and six generations of my people. So um, right now we are in a time of um, really reclaiming um, who we are and our history, and I feel like as an artist, I'm a part of that movement up here, because it is the arts that's um, bringing a lot of light to the true history, and we're talking about it, we are teaching, we are educating, we're creating awareness through theater, and part of that is healing our family. So this goes back to my clown character, whose name is Majika. I've been doing this character for close to 12 years now, going into Native communities, onto reserves, and working with children who are between uh, three to seven years old. And I take this character. She's a really sweet, she's not like that 
scary type of clown that freaks people out. <laughs> She's a very kind, sweet, um, loving clown. I've got long black, you know, yarn braids, but really thick black two braids tied with moose hide. I've got a really sweet dress on with a crinoline underneath that's got the the colors of the four directions, which is a big part of our culture. Uh Moccasins, beadwork, um, a beautiful, you know, red hat with beadwork on it. So it's, it's, she's very accessible, very approachable. And I go into um, school programs and I work with children. And a lot of times I work with children who've been through uh, abusive situations in their lives. And my character allows them to find the words, to talk about their feelings, and to be able to use their their words in in ways that allow them to feel empowered about um, who they are, what they are, where they've been, what they're feeling. Um, I I, uh, encourage creativity with this character, using their words to tell stories, to using their bodies to to tell stories. just being able to, to identify mostly what what they're feeling in their bodies is uh, a huge part of what this character does. So I do workshops with children using, again, theater and uh, live theater. And I also have a other character who is um, I do comedy with, and she her name is Cookum Martha. And in my language, in the Cree language, to say grandmother is Cookum. So this character's name is grandmother Martha and she's just this straight up uh, tell it like it is doesn't take crap from nobody old woman and she's hilarious and it, uh, so I use her for comedy and I use the um, the therapeutic healing clown character with um, with children so those are a couple of characters that I do and that keeps me really busy in between films as I'm working in community grassroots and I think that it's really awesome that you work with children in the theater because here in the States, one of the outlets that people use to kind of um, give kids um, a little lesson in some skills that they might need later on in life, you know, we embrace sports. And in sports, even though it can teach you teamwork and leadership and those types of things, I think on the outset, basically, you know, Let's just take football, for example, um, American football. You know, you can get some of those leadership and teamwork skills, but at the same time, um, sometimes people look at you as a statistic and your face is covered up and you've got a number on. So nobody really gets a chance to see who you are as an individual. And in theater, um, children get to express themselves and people can actually see who they are. And I think that that is a very awesome outlet uh, and I'm really happy that you're working with kids in that format thank you and it's not just theater it's you know writing and dancing and mm-hmm. poetry all the arts I think is so important to our young people to allow them to express themselves and um, with these characters and working with these kids do you have a little troop that goes around do you get them involved and have them kind of Self, self, teach them how to be the clown so that they can teach the younger kids. No, I don't do that. What I do is, um, I do a lot of improv. I go uh, out to schools um, regularly, like schools that I've been going to every year, 
and watching these kids grow up and stuff. And I do a lot of improv with them, and they always look forward to it. Um, so, you know, just um, I walk into a classroom, and sometimes, you know, there's kids there that are super shy, that don't want to look you in the eye, that have their heads down. And, you know, and you stand in front of them, and, um, you know, I'll, I'll start making a fool of myself, right? Like just <laughs> doing silly, silly things, letting go of all ego, you know, because a lot of times kids think, oh, she's an actress, you know, she's all about makeup and hair and looking good and all that. And I'm just, I'm just like, no, you know, this is the thing about acting is that, you know, you, you have to be able to make a fool of yourself and it's okay. You know, you got to let go of that, that need to, to, to want to look right. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's awesome seeing these kids because they look, you know, they peek up and they're looking and all of a sudden they're laughing and, and then pretty soon they're up on stage and they're, you know, standing there beside you. We're, you know, putting ourselves into different scenarios of, okay, I'm the mom and you're the, you know, the daughter and you want to go out and you're grounded. How do we work that out? And let's, you know, let's, let, let's act that out, you know? So this is fun. We, we put ourselves through all these scenarios and, and in the end, you know, these kids remember that, you know, I got kids coming up to me who were in my class five years ago or 10 years ago and they're like, Oh, Miss Michelle, you know, I remember how you did that, and now, you know, it, it allowed me to have more confidence when I speak to people, and, you know, so it's good. It's really, I just, I love the power of the arts. And um, you have two daughters. I have you gotten do. them involved with the show yet? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, you know, these two... Not unfortunately. My, <laughs> well, it's a tough business, and I keep telling them that. But, um, you know, they've been obviously with me since they were born on sets all over the place, um, hanging out with, uh, you know, my, my my older daughter, like when they met Benicio Del Toro when me and Benicio were shooting a film together. Now, they got really tight, her and Benicio, and, you know, she calls him Bro-Nicio, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, no. These girls, my daughters, have been all over the place with me, and uh, now my oldest girl uh, just did on season four of a show I star on called Blackstone up here. My oldest daughter, whose name is Imagine, it's I-M-A-J-Y-N, Imagine just did four episodes on Blackstone, and she... um, because, you know, the crew and the director, who's also the writer and the producer, he uh, he's watched both my daughters grow up because I've been working with this crew for quite a long time. <laughs> and uh, he called me up last winter and he's like, we want to introduce a character who's 14 years old and who's involved in child trafficking. And it's a tough role, but I'm wondering if Imagine would be willing to try. So I talked to her about it, and my daughter is, you know, both my girls are, you know, very, uh, very aware because they've been around the arts for so long. But um, Imagine was like, yeah, no, I'm totally down. And so we got our scripts, and it was an interesting process, you know, being on set with um, my daughter in front of the camera (laughs) and watching her on the monitor and going, wow, this is my kid. Uh, and a very really tough subject, too. Wow. A very tough, tough, tough subject. She was never, of course, placed in any type of compromising situation. There was no nudity. There was no touching. It was all um, um, just implied. And uh, it's 
amazingly written, though, but it's a huge topic that is so important to discuss because we do have a lot of um, child trafficking happening in our communities with um, people going out, usually, you know, women in their 20s who are part of the prostitution circles. They're going out and they're finding young Aboriginal women who don't come from a strong family background, nurturing them with gifts of, you know, giving them Gucci purses or whatever, and then these girls follow them into the city and then it's payback time. And that's, uh, it's, it's devastating what's going on with a lot of young Native girls up here. And so for my daughter to portray that in an honest way, I was, uh, I was really blown away and very proud of her performance. It was extremely brave. So yeah, she's done that. She did a, um, she had about eight scenes in a feature film last year that I'm not sure when it'll be out called Midnight Sun. And I just directed a show here that closed two weeks ago and both my daughters were in it. So yeah. <laughs> now, now I, I know I know you've been doing this for a long time uh, as an actress, but I can only imagine having your chi- children follow in your footsteps. And that first time, it mu- the emotions must have been just all over the place. Uh, uh, was it easy to hold it together? Uh, you know, seeing your little girl, uh, you know, acting <laughs> like that. It was really it was it was a strange feeling because you know my daughter is so. She just turned 15 on Sunday, and she, we've got a great relationship, first of all. Um, very, very connected. Um, because of my childhood, the way I grew up, I vowed that I would be an amazing mother. And I, you know, if, if I can say anything I've done well, it's being a mom. And that, you know, I'm not saying that from an ego base. Of course, I'm saying that from a place of love, because I... I'm I'm passionate about our families, about healing our families and raising our children in in good ways. So yeah, sitting on set, it there was part of me that was watching her going, "Oh my gosh, this is my 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 baby in high heels and a mini skirt and makeup, which she'd never worn any of those three things before." And watching her on the monitor and just going, part of me is going, oh my gosh, I just want to go cover her up and hold <laughs> her and, and, and take her away from these cruel people. <laughs> the other part of myself is going, oh, please don't screw up. I'm starring in the show. It, it, you know, I, I got I to gotta, I gotta keep my cool here. <laughs> it was funny. It was just hilarious watching her and hoping that she did a good job and hoping that, you know, she was... Uh, I think one of the beautiful parts, actually, of working on that show, we didn't have any scenes together, which was, you know, an interesting choice of the director. But also, um, before we started shooting, we talked a lot about, you know, young women who are in this situation, what that must be like. One of, you know, she, we watched, um, what was that? There's a great movie with, um, I think it's called 14... We watched some, some, some movies together anyway, so she gets some background on things. Uh, a movie that she just um, adores is Precious. You know, like she, she watched Precious a few years ago, and she, uh, she just fell in love with that film, the rawness of it, the beauty of the acting in that film. And that's sort of what she wanted to go for, was that sort of rawness, that visceralness. So we talked a lot about 
you know, what her character was going through. But then we went and we bought um, uh, a, a bracelet, you know, those type that are weaved with um, thread? They're friendship bracelets, I think they're called. Have you guys heard of those? Uh, oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, they're kind of, yeah, I think they're, I, I don't, they're anyways, they're, they're weaved bracelets with thread. And we went and bought one, and I, I said to her, you know, when you're in your character, you're wearing this bracelet. We went to wardrobe, of course, and had it okayed by them, but I said, you are going to wear this bracelet with your character. And this bracelet, we're going to create a story behind it. It was given to you when you were young, when you were still innocent, when your character, before all the stuff started happening to you. And you're going to wear this bracelet, and you're going to remember that innocence, always. So that's what's going to keep you grounded in this role. And when you're done at the end of the day and you sign off and you're walking off set, that bracelet stays on set and it keeps everything there. You know, like I really have to find a way to... Yeah, to allow her to separate herself and in her character to, to know that she was still had that innocence. So yeah, we created a whole story behind that bracelet and it was very, uh, it was a very, um, you know, if you watch it, you might catch that bracelet, but you might not. You know, it didn't really show up too much. So that was what I did with her to make sure she stayed grounded. Now, um, we've mentioned the, the the series Blackstone a couple of times. For those who may not know about the series, please give us a, a little uh, background on the series and the character that you play on it. Sure. Blackstone is um, originally written, directed, produced, and acted. It's a show that um, that's quite popular in Canada. Um, it takes place on a First Nations, well, an anonymous First Nations community here in Canada. That's called Blackstone First Nation. Um, it's all about. It's modern. It's not period, and it's uh, it's sort of about two families in this community, myself and my sister, and then the other family is um, the chief and his wife and. It's uh, sort of the good versus the bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. It explores politics in community. It explores lateral violence. Um, just a lot of the issues that take place in our communities. But also, it's um, the way that I like to describe Blackstone to people who haven't seen the show is that you may think it's about um, a First Nations community, and it deals with only First Nations issues, but really it's about relationships between human beings. Because everything that takes place on the show could take place in any, you know, any community anywhere. But it does look at a lot of the oppression that, you know, happens to Indigenous people and how we are figuring out ways to make that right. And and um, it started out as a TV movie, right? And then they decided to go ahead and make it a series? Well, it was a pilot. We shot a pilot, and then we turned it into a TV series, and people just started loving it. It can be seen down in the States on Hulu. We've got uh, season one, two, and three on Hulu down there, and I think season four will be heading down once it's released in Canada. Uh, my character's name is Gail Stoney, and season one, you won't even recognize me because my teeth are rotten. Mm. I look like absolute crap. Um, I, um, I'm an alcoholic. I'm a chronic down-and-out alcoholic on the show. I've lost my daughter to suicide. It sent me off the deep end. 
um, in season one, my daughter comes back and haunts me. So it's all about her and, you know, her ghost and me. And she she's just always, you know, digging that knife deeper in by telling me how screwed up I am and what a mess up I am, how I screwed her up. It's, it's, it's brilliant writing. It's um, got some amazing performances in it. I won, in 2011, I won Best Lead Actress in Canada for that show, and that's comparable to the Emmy Awards in the States. And that in itself, since then I've won quite a few awards since then, but to have an Aboriginal person take home the lead of, a, of you know, the country is a huge step for us. And so that's, this show's opened up at, a lot of doors and brought on some of the best actors in the country. And, and congratulations um, too, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So yeah, no, it's, it's a great, it's a, an amazing uh, show. Very, very political. They can, they compare it to the wire actually. It's the show that it's compared to constantly is the wire or else the Sopranos because there's a huge amount of swearing in it. <laughs> and uh, it's it's just raw. Like we don't hold anything back on the show. It's uh, there's sex in there. There's there's uh, drugs. There's drinking. There's everything you can think of. You can be watching the show and you're going, no, they're not going to go there. Oh God, they're going there. <laughs> yeah. uh, my kind of show. Exactly. Me too. I would love. It. Yeah, you can check it out on Hulu, and uh, it's uh, it's a great. Uh, it's it's it'll surprise you. It's brilliant writing oh. and have you found that the bringing up these issues has uh, brought it to the political world to make change you know it's an amazing thing because the way I look at the, the subjects that we deal with on that show is I often say it's kind of like you got you know there's this certain sense of you know how in, in your own communities you can talk about all the stuff that you know is wrong and Whatever, you know, but when it comes to um, putting that out there into the white community, there's a sense of shame, there's a sense of wanting to hide it. You don't want to bring up all your dirty laundry, right? Right. And that's something I think Blackstone really deals with head on, is that we discuss the stuff that normally a non-Native person can watch this show and go, wow, they're really talking about it. The way I look at it is you got a sore, you got a, a wound happening, you can continue covering that wound up with band-aids, you know, or you can rip that band-aid off and let the air expose it and heal it. And that's how I look at Blackstone. It's ripping the band-aid off of our biggest wounds and allowing the air and the light to be a part of the healing. Uh, and, you know, we would be dead wrong if we didn't ask you, about your passion for the environment. And um, last year, um, you pulled a little cloak and dagger on some oil execs in Calgary <laughs> on behalf of the indigenous people of Ecuador. Uh, can you tell us a little something about that? Oh, my. You've been doing some research. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I've been, um, I'm, I'm quite outspoken. I live in a province called Alberta, which is the tar sands capital of the world, I believe. Um, so, yeah, I've been very outspoken against um, what what this province has put out there. Um, we have uh, Fort McMurray, which is about 
12 hours north is got the worst, most polluted tar sands in the world going on up there, and it's, it's destroying a huge amount of land, and that land is very close to First Nations communities, and a lot of our people up there are getting poisoned by the, by the, um, the, the environmental damage that's happening through the tar sands. So um, I've been very... I just I speak my truth, and I was approached by the Amazon Front out of San Francisco last year, who um, knew me from my political activism, and they came up to Canada. We had a meeting. We had a week to create a plan. It was called Round Eleven. Uh, the Ecuadorian government was coming up to Calgary, which is you know an oil boom city, to sell off over 13 million hectares of rainforests, Amazon rainforests oil companies. So we came up with a plan. Um, there was four um, non, non-native men and myself, and we got uh, Amazon Front made us business cards, and I was a, a legal analyst for an oil company, um, and they also paid for our registration fees to get into this very prestigious um, meeting that was taking place between the Ecuadorian government and the oil companies of Alberta. So they paid for us. We we met at 7 a.m. We and these four men met that morning at a coffee shop. I knew one of them, but the other three I'd never met before. So you know, it was sort of clandestine in a way, I guess. And I also um, went to... Um, I, I bought... Uh, clothes that made me look like a lawyer, <laughs> a lot of acting involved in there, and a briefcase, which was hilarious, because I'd never owned a briefcase before, <laughs> and we went to these, uh, the four of us met at a coffee shop, and then we sort of one by one dispersed, went up to the meeting, um, it was kind of, you know, my heart was beating, I was really freaked out about it, um, paid cash for uh, registration, went into the meeting. We all sat in different places. Uh, sat there, the first half hour was um, the Canadian ambassador, the Ecuadorian ambassador to Canada. He spoke. We had to wear earphones to get the translation into English. I listened to him speak about, you know, the beauty of Ecuador and, and um, you know, the tourist parts of Ecuador. And then the um, hydrocarbonate minister spoke, and he spoke for about an hour about how many barrels they could pull out of this rainforest, how many tons of oil, how much um, tariffs, all this uh, oil talk. And then, you know, I was waiting for the right moment to to do this, but um, then uh, he showed a video, and this is where, you know, I kind of got really crazy irate because this video was about six minutes long and it had this almighty voice of God, which is what I call it, but this voice that spoke, that showed video of indigenous people in Ecuador, but never, you never heard them talk. You just saw them laughing and talking and, and this almighty voice was saying, and the indigenous people of Ecuador would be so grateful if you'd come down and, and buy this oil because it'll build roads for them and schools for their children and and we just saw these happy indigenous people, and it really bothered me because in my briefcase sitting beside me, I had a declaration of opposition from all the seven nations that were being affected by this, um, if this land was being sold. 
in the rainforests of the Amazon. All of them had signed declarations of opposition asking for somebody in Calgary to do this, to bring this declaration, because they did not have a voice and they were not being listened to. So um, at the end of that video, you know, all these people in this meeting were all, you know, white-haired men in their 50s who were all huge executives. And I did feel extremely intimidated being, you know, a woman of color in this room. And I, I, I gathered all of my strength and I called... I called in my grandmothers, which I, you know, spiritually, always is the way is the way that I find my strength. And I, you know, spiritually asked all of my grandmothers from the beginning of time to help me through this because I was my heart was racing. I was afraid to to stand up and speak my truth, but I felt this incredible warmth and this love come over me and this strength, and I knew that they were with me. And I stood up. And I introduced myself with my Indian name, which is Good Feathers Woman. And I just said, I'm here to present a declaration of opposition from the seven indigenous nationalities within this rainforest whose lives and homes will be affected if you go in there and you drill. And I um, walked to the front of the room and I gave them a, a traditional map <clears throat> because the map that they were using is showing you know, the colonial point of view of what that land was about. Mm-hmm. And the traditional map that I presented showed where these nationalities, these nations lived, and where their traditional boundaries were, and who they were. And I presented this to them, and um, they had security, of course, standing there, glaring at me. And and while I did this, two other the two men that were in the different parts of the room got up and they held up a banner. That's a huge banner that had a blood, bloody hand on it that said the Amazon is not for sale. And the other two men pulled out cameras and shot the whole thing. And then we, um, we, uh, we left. And uh, by 2 o'clock that afternoon, one of the major oil companies had already pulled out. And then it just kind of became like... Um, a bit of a domino effect and other oil companies started to pull out because they knew that it would bring bad publicity and uh, the um, New York Times picked up on it and said, you know, Canadian native actress shuts down oil meeting and, and then Europe picked up on it and then, um, yeah, Ecuador was, was um, there was seven newspapers in the, in the country of Ecuador that had me on the cover. So I don't know whether that was, you know, if I'm an enemy down there or, <laughs> or a hero but you're um, a hero. It was, it was quite an interesting thing um, that I truly give credit to, um, uh, you know, the, the indigenous people, first of all, for, you know, it took a lot for them to get the, that declaration of opposition sent to Canada, you know, so that I thought was such an amazing act for them to do that. And for me to, you know, for them to trust me to bring that in there and to do that was, uh, it was quite an interesting event and to me social activism is you know what we need to do to create uh, more awareness more education to um, stand up for the for the land and to let people know that you know we need to place as much investment and knowledge into sustainable energy as we do into the oil sands and then find a gentle transition of going from that because I don't expect you know the oil sands to shut down overnight that's, you know, irresponsible. What I expect, though, is a gentle transition of slowly turning, um, allowing 
uh, sustainable energy to start creating a forefront. And that, uh, I think that's something that's completely acceptable. I don't understand why they keep saying, you know, the oil, the oil industry keeps saying, well, it's, you know, it's the economy. We've got to keep yeah. our economy going. But that's, you know, to me, that's just not right. Why place the economy before our children's futures, you know? So... Anyways, I could go on and on about this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 no doubt. I mean, and you know, I think that what a lot of people don't realize is sometimes you have to have a vision of the long game. Just like you're saying, the types of things that certain corporations and certain people take for granted now are things that are going to affect you know the future. So the, you know, everything that you do and you know involvement and. You know, I just think that that is great, and what you did was courageous, and I definitely admire you for that. And what I wanted to ask you was um, your opinion on you know social media and activism. You know, the internet can be an asset as well as a detriment to active activism. You know, it can bring an issue forward to different people who may have never known about an issue, but it can also cycle a news story out of public consciousness just as fast. So do you oh, think yeah. it's, yeah, do you think that it's more of an asset or more of a detriment? Well, I think it's definitely an asset because it allows us to communicate uh, quite quickly. I mean, we've got a, we had a thing happen here last year called Idle No More, which went international. It was indigenous peoples rising up. Uh, it was a really beautiful movement that um, Indigenous peoples began to communicate through social media across Canada, and we started doing these things called flash mob round dances, where um, I, I was there at the first one in Calgary, where, you know, we put the word out, people showed up, it was Christmas, you know, so the mall was crazy, and Indigenous people picked a place and a time and we showed up and it was so amazing you know we were walking around the mall everyone was kind of giving each other this little look about oh my gosh are you ready are you ready <laughs> and then at a certain time we all met in the center of the mall there was about i have to say at least three four hundred native people coming together and then one guy in the center they, the the men pulled out their hand drums and they gave a call out and then mm -hmm. it was like well, ah! <laughs> and all these, you know, beautiful, this beautiful song came up, and these men were singing this powwow song, and we all took hands, and we started round dancing, and we were pulling the white people in there, and it became this phenomenon that was happening across <laughs> Canada. Uh -huh. Everywhere, everything, it was on national news. There were Native people gathering in malls, doing these flash mob round dances, and it was to stand up for our rights and to allow non-Native people to understand what was happening with our government, with, you know, the oil industry, with all of these different things that were a part of the I Don't Know More movement. Protection taken off the lakes by our Prime Minister. He took the protection off of our lakes, our rivers, and our shorelines, mm. you know, in order to have oil move. Um, so anyways, uh, that in that instance, social media was the bomb as far as allowing us to communicate with each other and allowing us to know that we were gaining some type of headway in this political movement. And this happened for about a good six to eight months where Aboriginal people were coming together across the country. It spread around the world. It was kind of like the Arab Springs. It was amazing. It was beautiful. Mm. There was a unity. The Maori people got involved. The American Indians got involved. Non-natives who we, you know, we, we uh, called our allies. The allies were getting involved. 
it was a beautiful movement that happened. People began to get burnt out. So now, I mean, there's a little lull happening. Uh-huh. But, you know, I, I know we're gearing up again, and it's going to happen again. I can feel, you know, people are just formulating again. So that's the good part of social media. The, the rough part is, yeah, you know, there are trollers out there. I got slammed yesterday on um, Twitter. It was pretty intense because of the, the movement I, I was moving. In um, August, I was up in uh, northern um, Norway, uh, an island called Svalbard with Greenpeace. I was asked by Greenpeace to come up as um, a witness for, uh, as a Canadian ambassador witness, to come up to Svalbard to um, visit with the, um, the scientists up there at the world's largest climate research station. And I went with uh, Emma Thompson, who was representing the UK, who's a brilliant actress out of Britain, who I'm sure a lot of people have heard of, two-time Oscar award winner. Anyways, the, both of us were up in um, up on this island. We went out with Greenpeace. We we took the boat up and around, uh, right to the top of the island. We were, I think, just under 600 nautical miles from the North Pole, and we were observing the ice melt and the glaciers, which are melting at a phenomenal rate. And we were speaking with scientists about this, but um, it, it was it's part of a program uh, or. Um, a thing called Save the Arctic, that Greenpeace, a campaign that they're putting out about trying to stop industrial drilling in the Arctic. Because as the ice is melting, it's, you know, there's uh, four or five different countries that are now trying to get in there, doing seismic testing to get to the oil. Because as the ice melts, it's, you know, allowing them to get to the oil up there. So um, we were a part of this campaign as witnesses of the ice melt. And yesterday, I got slammed on Twitter by mm. um, these uh, Inuit people from mm. the northern part of Canada, and they were just on my case, and I was trying so hard to battle back and let them know, look, I wasn't in Inuit territory. I have no right to talk about Inuit uh, way of life because I am not Inuit. So, mm. you know, I mean, that was that's the tough part of social media is when, you know, when yeah. there's... There's a um, hard things going on, you know. You're going to get dragged into that too. So there's the good and there's the bad. But I can honestly say that you know the the good has been amazing. Ninety percent of the work I do through my social activism is done with social media, and it's always been an, am- an amazing, beautiful thing. I had a a mock funeral that I threw um, January thirteenth. 2013, there's a, um, a newspaper in Canada that I won't name, but uh, was, is a huge, hugely known for their racist views against Aboriginal people and just promoting racism, um, encouraging racism through their, their online questions. Um, anyways, I, I held a mock funeral. I built a life-size coffin and I used social media. I put a call out and I just said, look, I'm having a funeral for racism. This mm-hmm. is the location. Meet me at this time. <laughs> and over 200 yeah. people showed up. <laughs> and oh, we right. carried that coffin, and we brought it right to the building, and we dropped it off, and we had a funeral right there. And it was pretty brilliant. Uh, you know, the other thing I did is called Hug a Non-Native. Every February 6th for the last two years, I go downtown, I set up a, a little area, mm-hmm. and I give out free hugs to non-Native people. <laughs> and I bring, you know, I... 
I put that out in social media, and every year, you know, people, Native people come down, and they set up beside me, and we all wear red, and then we stand there, and we hand out hugs to, it's, you know, it's tongue-in-cheek, right? It's not right. meant to be, you know, to offend anybody. What it is is it's us as Indigenous people saying, look, we're not against you. You're not against us. We're human beings. We, you know, we, we want to break this, uh, this distance between us and talk, you know, yes. one-on-one. I'm going to give you a hug right now, and I, I just want you to know that what I'm doing with my social activism is fighting for all of us, for our water, for the land, you know, for the stories that are part of that land that go back thousands of years that affect you, who you are why you're here right now, why you're, you know, able to, to live the way you do because of the resources that you've taken from this land are a part of who I am. And let's talk about that, and let's break down that racism and those stereotypes, and let's look at each other in the eye and realize that you are a part of who I am, and I'm a part of you, and we need to discuss that. Oh, no doubt. And, and you know what? Let's, um, let's talk getting back to basics. Um, do you think that communities meeting each other face-to-face and getting to know one another on more of an intimate level kind of ups the ante on passion towards these issues? You know, I, I truly do. I think that ignorance is what breeds racism. I think that, you know, we, we, um, when we don't talk to each other, when we look at each other from a distance and we assume that's to me, that's what creates a huge amount of racism. Um, I am all about wandering back and forth between the Native and the non-Native worlds, and I'm totally comfortable in each world. Um, you know, being a part of the film industry, I have to be. I, I remember when I was growing up, I felt very um, intimidated by non-Native people. I felt inferior. I walked around with my head down, feeling like I wasn't equal, that I was you know, that there was something about them that was much more superior to me. And I learned how to get through that and to realize that, you know, we build these things up about each other. We build up these walls and, and you know, we, we need to get past that. We need to be able to, to look at each other and realize that we're not a melting pot. I'm not, you know, we... I, I don't like when people say, well, we're all the same, we're all human beings, because, no, I've got parts of my culture that are really strong and really powerful that, you know, that I have been given from my elders, from my teachings, from my, you know, the, the oral traditions that have been passed down. And that, I don't want to have to, you know, I don't want people to come in and, and, and claim that and make it theirs and, and sell sweat lodges for, you know, 50 bucks. Right. You know, that I don't I don't promote that at all. What I what I promote is I want, you know, non native people to, to, to respect and to know that they have their gifts. We have our gifts. You know, we've all been given these beautiful gardens in this world. Um, you know, the European people were given a garden, the every single uh, nationality in this world was given a garden. And somehow, you know, <clears throat> Colonization happens, you know, and yeah. colonization came across the ocean and brought black people with them and mm-hmm. set them up on, you know, in slave camps and got over here and took away, you know, culture and land and language. And it happened. And we can't turn back. We can't make it not happen. 
but we can educate each other and create awareness now and say it's not going to happen again. So, you know, that's the thing that I, I believe is uh, teaching our children, teaching that next generation how to, you know, stand up, how to, to be proud of who they are and how to stand up for the land. And that's I think that is a, a great message for anyone in the next generation, too. Yeah. So. Thanks for doing everything that you're doing before we go on to our next segment because it's awesome work. Um, so our next, what we're going to do is we're going to take some calls from some callers. Um, and callers, um, because we do have several different callers, we're going to have uh, ask you to uh, keep it to one question. And our first caller is from area code 661. Caller, what's your name and where are you from and what's your question for Michelle? Hi, uh, my name's Fiona, and I'm from Vancouver. Um, hi, Michelle. Hi, hi, everybody. Hello. <laughs> hey. be- be- before you continue, Fiona, we want to give you a special uh, shout-out and thank you. Uh, Fiona was the, the person that uh, facilitated this tonight, and uh, she is a dear friend. And uh, thank you so much, Fiona. <laughs> me, me and Yardley, we love you dearly. <laughs> Thank you. I'm really, really happy that this did happen because Michelle is so riveting to listen to, and I'm a big, big fan of hers. So I really wanted all um, the house fans, particularly, and everyone to know more about her because she's quite well known here in Canada. And uh, yeah, so hi, Michelle. Aww. <laughs> Thank you, Fiona. I'm so, I don't know, I'm so proud of you, and I'm so humbled. You are a really talented woman. Thank you. So do you have a question for me? Um, so, yeah, I do. I wanted to talk just a little bit about Smiling Crow. Um, really nice performance, by the way. Um, I just remember when I first saw him, like, oh, my God, that's Michelle Blush. <laughs> when he came on at the episode, I didn't see that coming, so it was a real nice surprise, because usually a lot of us diehard house fans know everything about the show, and... There you were a big surprise. And, and uh, real quick, Tom. Re- real quick, uh, she, you're talking about uh, the TV series Hell on Wheels. She did an ap- appearance on the episode Beer Bear Man. I'm Beer Man. That's me. Uh, Bear Man. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. And she played the characters. Yeah, right. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's funny. Uh-huh. Go ahead. I'm so sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I just wanted to ask a little bit about her and. With all respect to all the viewers and, and the, the showrunner and everybody, I will say out front that I was one of the fans that really wished that there had been subtitles because I did have a lot of interest in what the Native people were doing, thinking, and feeling through the episode, but I just wanted to get that out of the way. Um, I just want to ask you about Smiling Crow. Uh, was this, um, I think it was the Comanche, right? The tribe? Was yes. she like some kind of matriarchal leader? Because I noticed when the brave, when Elon went to uh, went to leave after he killed um, Mobin's Plenty's character, and he took the slaves with him. Did which was Swanko some kind of leader? Because I noticed she put her hands up to to stop the brave from stopping Elon. And my question not only is was she some kind of leader, but 
also is, did she do that because she felt that Elon was a loose cannon and was happy to see him go? Or did she do it because, um, because out of respect for Elon and that he had been this, this great bear killer and that he should be allowed to, to leave the way he did without any, you know, repercussions for killing the mobile mouse character. Okay, I'm going to try and answer that. Uh, there's a bit of breaking up, but I'm going to try and answer um, what the question I'm hearing is um, when Elam, when Elam left the camp, was she just let him go, and what was the reason for that? Right, yeah, because I noticed that one brave was going to try and stop him from leaving, and you put your okay. hands up and said, let him go. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, Smiling Crow, this was a, a big conversation that I had. Uh, Moses Brings Funny, who played, uh, oh gosh, I forget his character's name, but the younger guy. Mm-hmm. The Moses yep. Brings Funny, he's an American it's White actor. Feather. Yeah, White Feather, that's right. So um, me and Moses had a lot of conversation about this because um, originally he, uh, the script didn't have Smiling Crow as prominent as she was, and it was Moses who was there more in the beginning of the development of it, who said, our women are extremely powerful, and they make the final decisions on everything. Being matriarchal is a huge part of who we are as a people. Patriarchal, um, like the male running the camp, is something that comes out of Hollywood. So we made sure that that was true to the way we are, and then they, they brought in Smiling Crow as a much bigger character in the final script. And that's, uh, that's mm-hmm. when they, um, you know, when I saw the, the script, it was the way it was that you saw it, where Smiling Crow was very, very, um, she was, um, her and old Porcupine, who played, uh, was played by Michael Horse, who was my husband on the show. He um, obviously didn't have a lot to say because that is the way that it was back then. If the women had the, the, the spiritual connection to the earth, they were the medicine gatherers, mm-hmm. they were the healers, they were the, the ones that gave life to children. So that was, I think, very evident. Um, so when Elam's character came to us, <clears throat> I think it was quite evident that Smiling Crow recognized in him what she thought was a beautiful gift because he did take, the grizzly gave its life, um, laid its life down mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and died. So she saw, that's why she called him Bear Killer. And she nurtured mm-hmm. him back to health. And so when he, um, when he was healthy enough to leave, she believed that he carried with him a, a beautiful gift. Um, and that's also why she didn't get angry when he killed White Feather because his gift of carrying bear medicine was something that was very strong and that she did not want to um, have anybody inhibit that uh, that strength that he carried by um, that bear laying its life down for him. So I don't know if that explained it right, but um, she... That does, yeah. She believes, <laughs> she believes in Bear Killer and she through her medicines and her visions and who she was, she knew that he, uh, he's just, he's a carrier of, of good medicine. And, and, Fiona, uh, thank you for your call. Yeah. 
And um, oh, you're welcome. And a big shout out to uh, Michael Horse. He's a fantastic actor. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. Great actor. Uh, um, definitely go uh, going way back to the Twin Peaks and before that. So, yeah, fantastic mm-hmm. actor. And it's good that they linked you guys up. Uh, we actually had the writer of that episode, uh, uh, Max Hurwitz, on our our Hell on Wheels podcast, and uh, he talked uh, extensively about his process and and that I believe that was his first episode that he yeah. ever written uh, on his own. So I'm like, what a what an episode, right? To, to uh, get your feet wet <laughs> on, right? But uh, I know I thought it was interesting that they um, that they chose to have the Comanche language not subtitled. Uh, that was that was part yeah. of, you know production said that and. Um, so that was, you know, big, huge note when the director, Clark, was working with us. He was like, you have to put it through in the acting, and, you know, it, it's got to be, we don't want to put subtitles in. So, yeah, I just thought it was an interesting choice that they made. And, uh, yeah. uh, we still have you, uh, Fiona. I want to ask you a question. What did you think about uh, the performance, uh, the the chemistry that Michelle and Common had in those scenes weren't they weren't they awesome? It really was. Uh, to me, uh, I think one of the best parts of the episode was Michelle's performance. She's just amazing. Ah, thank you. I I was just gonna say that um, Common is an amazing man to work with, and I, I felt like we had chemistry right away. He he's a very gentle, kind. A uh, very generous actor, and yeah, we just uh, we knew that we had uh, we had to um, sort of unite our forces together, and that's what we did. It was a great uh, great time working with him. Well, Fiona, yeah. thank you very much. We're going to go on to our next caller. Thank you so much. Thank you, Fiona. Okay, take care. See you later. <laughs> All right, caller four, with area code four two three. What's your name? Where are you from? And what's your question for Michelle? Hey, Josh. This is Joe calling from East Tennessee. How's everybody doing tonight? We're doing great. Doing great. Hey. First thing, Michelle, my God, do you have any idea of just how empowering you are? (laughs) Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. You really are. I am smarter for just having called in tonight and listen to you. Um, I have a question. Um, Up in Canada, you all have an Aboriginal TV channel. We here in America, we don't have anything like that. And I've talked to Ken Tay before about this. You know, he he knows how I feel about it. What can we do in America to get our very own Native American channel? Because petitions don't seem to work. And calling Direct TV and Xfinity, none of this seems to work. What advice would you give Americans uh, that want more exposure to Native American culture, Native Canadian culture? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know a huge amount about what happens in America, but what I've been what's been explained to me. Our, our station up here is called Aboriginal People Television Network, APTN, and we've been going for, I think, 20 years now um, as a full Indigenous station up here, and it's, it's doing quite well. That's the station that uh, Blackstone is the number one um, TV show on there. 
And from what Good I is. gather, <laughs> yeah, from what I gather, um, the way that television works in Canada is we get the government gives us you know subsidies, and then the provinces tax breaks, and it's a totally different game up here. Whereas down in the states, the government doesn't um, you know help out the, the TV stations. So I I really you know it's a I, I don't even know what to say because down in the States, it's all about, you know, who has the money. And here it's about, you know, we demand representation up here as Indigenous people, not only in television, but in politics. I mean, we've got a huge representation. Yeah. And I think it probably has to do with the ratio. You come to Canada and Native people are quite visible as minorities. We're very visible in the cities and in the you know, all over the place, you see Native people. Whereas down in the States, you know, if you go to Oklahoma or North um, New Mexico, there's obviously a lot of Indigenous people. But you go to, like, my time in L.A., it, I know there's a big community down there, but it's hard to, you know, see them in regular, you know, just walking down the street. So I think it's a ratio thing. I think that there's just the, the Aboriginal people aren't as evidence in the tapestry of the country down there. So maybe that's why, you know, there's not such a demand for uh, recognition in, you know, such as a television station. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I yeah. wish, you know, I wish I could come down there what you're basically telling me is I need to move to Canada. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's what I heard, too. <laughs> no. Yeah, I think okay, everybody. Yeah, because uh, Fiona, my friend Fiona, she uh, has already told me she has an extra room. I can have that. <laughs> no. I love my Fiona. I, I, no, I'm going to tell you. Thank you so much for being here for all of us tonight. Um, you're a very inspirational woman. And thank you. I hope you do well, as, as well as you're doing and far beyond. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thank, thank you. you. Uh, no, um, actually, you know, there is a way that you can get, uh, maybe not a channel, but as I was saying, we need to produce content, our own content, yes. and we can do it. I mean, this is the time. Uh, yes. Back in the day, it used to cost a lot. It cost it used to cost a lot of money to to make quality content, and actually, it's gotten a lot cheaper. And we can pull together and put our own content out, and we can you know, have a whole web station. There you go. We can do it, and, and you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, the content's out there. You know the. Uh, all the movies we have, uh, the people, the actors we have in America, mm -hmm. uh, the Native American actors are absolutely amazing. Yes. So mm -hmm. we have it. We just got to get it out there, guys. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And support it when it comes out, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Joe, thank you so much for calling. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, guys. You guys have a blessed night. Bye-bye. Oh, so sweet. <laughs> All right, Michelle, we have one more caller. Uh, caller from area code three three six. What's your name? Where are you from? And what's your question? Oh, is that me? That's yeah. you. Hi. <laughs> oh wow! I didn't. Wow. I, okay. Um, this is uh, Sarah um, calling from Ohio. Sarah. No bucks. I haven't. Uh, we haven't talked to you, Sarah, in like three years. Where you been hiding? I know. I've been busy. I've been working, and I've moved and. Hiding I've from been, us. I've been a busy bee. Hiding from us. That's that's. Uh, uh, I have been watching this the season of Helen Will. I'm I'm bereft over Eddie not being in it. So I just 
I just kind of needed a break. I, I did watch the the beginning of the of uh, you know this the season, and I just the train going over the ice. I just I was like, no, no, that's that's not possible. Sorry, I just I had to turn it off. Um, Do you have Sarah, a question for Michelle? Wait, real real quick. Sarah is a huge uh, Eddie Spears fan. Uh, so, yeah, so Eddie's hot. Eddie's a sweetie. <laughs> uh, he is. He's just wonderful, man. But <laughs> yeah, I, I always, I always end up giggling when it comes to him. It's his fault. Um, anyway, um, mm-hmm. uh, I just, you know, I've been listening to you, Michelle, and you're, you're, you're very riveting just to listen to, and uh, you know, and I, what I, you know, you're, you're, you're genuine, and that, that's awesome. And that you. you know it's hard to find genuine people in this world, and and you know you know go you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but my question is is you know probably not as as serious as the other ladies, but um, I was going to ask uh, what was it like working with um, Eric on Blackstone? Ah, uh-huh. Eric Schwed. <laughs> I worked he was with Eric high high Oh yeah, no, he's a sweetie. Lots of the Mohicans and. Uh, he's he's been yeah. Eric and I have known each other for many years and we've worked together before and we did a film in the States called Skins that was shot in North Dakota or South Dakota um, mm-hmm. we've worked together quite a few times anyways Eric's great um, he's, a, oh. he's a he's a wonderful person he's um, he's nothing like his character on Blackstone you know he's not like a mean mm-hmm. mean bastard which is, you know, what everyone knows him as on the show. But he, um, he's, he's, he's kind, he's sweet, he's, you know, he's a very sexy man. He's he's a um, very strong actor, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I adore him. He's a good person. Oh, that's great to hear. Oh, yeah. yay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's a good family. Blackstone's a good family. We, we all uh, have a good time together. Oh, that's, that, that, that's excellent. That's awesome. Have you seen it? Do you watch it on well, Hulu? I've only seen, like, clips of it. I've actually never seen an entire episode. Um, um, I don't I don't know if we get it on Netflix, but, um, yeah, I should definitely check the show out. On Hulu. I don't actually watch TV. No, <laughs> no worries. I don't watch much TV. Well, if you get a moment on Hulu, yeah. it's a great show. Yeah, we're, we're yeah, gonna we're gonna make sure that uh, you catch it. We're gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna tie Sarah down and and well, I don't think we even have to go that far. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Thank you so hey. much, Sarah. And and we expect you to call back. We miss uh, hearing your voice. Yeah, maybe I call. I'm not watching, so I don't know what I have to contribute. Yeah, you know, uh, recipes. I miss Eddie. Well, you're missing out. I'm telling you, the show hadn't missed a beat. Yeah, it's it's been out pretty awesome. This year. Thank you well, so much. I, I hear I hear some things are, are, are you know there are a lot of cool interesting things. I'm not very articulate right now. It's almost midnight here, or probably it is. <laughs> but it's a Friday. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. Oh, we everyone have a have a wonderful evening, and uh, maybe I'll call call again. We'll see. All right. All right. Thanks, Sarah. All right. All right. Thanks. Thanks. Bye, Michelle. Bye-bye. Now, before we uh, we say goodbye, uh, I, I you mentioned, you referenced a, a film that uh, you you worked on with uh, the great Benicio Del Toro. Uh, I believe it was called Jimmy P., right? 
Yeah, Jimmy P. Yeah, uh, tell us ab- about that. Um, yeah, Jimmy P. is a film. Uh, the the director writer is Arnaud Desplechon, who's out of France. He's a very well known. He's the Scorsese of France, and he uh, was fascinated with a, a story. It's a true story about a man from um, the the. Blackfeet Reservation in Montana. His name is Jimmy Picard. He was in the Second World War. He got injured in the war, and it's all about sort of him. Uh, Benicio plays Jimmy, and I play his sister. And it was a great, uh, great time. It premiered at the Cannes Fest in France. It was in competition at the Cannes Fest, and yeah, it was a great time. I had a, a wonderful time. We shot in Michigan in uh, all around Mich- Michigan, and then we shot in Montana. And, yeah, Benicio's a great guy. I love him. Yeah, he's a fantastic actor. Definitely got definitely to gotta check that out. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so um, we're at the part of the show that we affectionately love to call Rapid Fire. And the way that Rapid Fire works is that me, Tara Lynn, and Yarley will pepper you with questions. These, these are all in... These will be very fun. So, okay, let's do it. All right. So, I've the, seen so the first question is: uh, a couple of years ago at Coachella, they did a hologram concert of the rapper Tupac. So, what dead artist or band would you like to see a hologram concert of? Oh gosh! Um, mm, holy cow! Um, Beatles. Oh yeah, that'd be great. The Beatles. Oh, man. <laughs> All right, Michelle, this is an animal question. Puppies or kitties? Kitties. <laughs> <laughs> um, what would your last meal be? My last meal? Yes. <laughs> uh, I made a homemade soup tonight for my daughters with uh, vegetables and um, <laughs> chicken. <laughs> no. You, you might want to... Uh, oh, okay. Well, let me rephrase that. I actually left out the first part. If you were on death row, what would your last meal be? <laughs> Uh, my, so I was on death row. Jeez. Um, <laughs> roast beef. Oh, okay. cool. We can work with yeah, that. Yeah, roast beef, mashed potatoes, gravy, and uh, peas. How's that? <laughs> oh, that sounds like a meal that you could sleep through your execution. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's your favorite guilty pleasure junk food? Uh, guilty pleasure. Um, oh, gosh. Uh, just chocolate. Chocolate. I'm pretty boring. Two, hey, two thumbs up. We love chocolate. Hey, I'm yeah. Cho- hey, I'm chocolate. So, <laughs> we love uh-huh. chocolate. Chocolate comes in many forms. There you go. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, favorite movie. Favorite movie. Um, uh, I really love Little Big Man. Hmm. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, I do. It's one of my favorite movies. Oh, cool. And my last one is: Could you tell us something you absolutely, positively can't stand? Um, prejudice, racism. Amen to that. Cosine. Yeah. Now, <laughs> here's our last question. And being that you're from Calgary, we're going to tailor it to that area. A young man is going to take a young lady out on a date. So he's mm-hmm. relying on Michelle Thrush to give him pointers on the best date he can take a young lady out in Calgary. In Calgary? Mm-hmm. Hmm, let's see. Well, Common brought me to a place called Milk. 
So that was a really nice restaurant. Um, we, uh, let's see. Uh, it was a beautiful restaurant called Milk. Um, the, uh, we got there and the restaurant was closing. It was nine o'clock. And miraculously, once they saw it was common, they were like, sure. And they opened the doors to us and we had the whole place to ourselves. So that was a beautiful date right Wow. <laughs> it was a nice night. Ah, that's what's up. So yeah, you gotta find a restaurant. You gotta make sure it's closing, and then get it reopened for you. And <laughs> see, I gotta take Michelle, take Michelle, and then they're gonna open it up. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I don't think I had anything to do with that. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Michelle, for coming on the show. This has definitely been a treat and an honor to talk to you. And uh, definitely, if I'm ever attacked by a bear, I'm going to make sure they call you to uh, bring me back. <laughs> I know you got okay. it in you. <laughs> I will pull that tooth right out of your head. It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you. Uh, and um, do you have a website or, uh, or a uh, Twitter or, or Facebook that you want people to know about so they can find out more about what you have coming up? Oh, uh, yeah. I'm just um, – well, my Facebook is – is totally full, but uh, Twitter, Ms. Thrush, M-I-Z-T-H-R-U-S-H, Ms. Thrush, and they can join me on Twitter. I'd love to hear from people. And season four of Blackstone will be uh, coming out uh, when? Can we expect it? November the 11th in Canada, we are having our season premiere of uh, Blackstone season four. It's going to be amazing. I'm so excited. I saw some clips the other day, and it is going to be better than any other season we've put out. So I'm excited. All right. Looking forward to that. And and uh, uh, programming note, tomorrow night on Talking Hell on Wheels, we will be joined by actor Kevin Blatch, and we will be breaking down episode 10. So that should be a lot of fun. And uh, Yardley, how can people get you? Facebook, Twitter, and all that stuff? Yes, you can follow me on Twitter at militant underscore marker, and you can go to IndieRadio.org, and that way you can find all of our Facebook pages for all of our shows, all of our show Twitter accounts, and all of the incredible hosts that we have at Indie Radio. You can follow us all from that location at IndieRadio.org, and if you don't mind, go to iTunes and give us a star rating and a review. It helps your boys out. And, Terlyn, how can people get in contact with you? It helps a girl out, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Terlinger Boy on Facebook and Twitter, so check me out. Follow me. All right. And you can get me at Kente F. You guys, enjoy your weekend. Goodbye. Okay. <laughs>